0: Today we're going to be in Colossians 2.16 as we uh, end the, re- the this series, and uh, I've titled our message today, In Need of Substance. In Need of Substance. If you are a, parents, a parent of little kids, or let's say any kid uh, that's living at your house, no doubt that there's one conversation you have every single day with them. They come home from school, they come home from something, this or that, and they say, Mom, Dad, I am starving. I'm so hungry. I have that every day. They come home from school. Dad, can we have a snack? I'm so hungry. And the, the thing that's funny is a lot of times the next uh, phrase out of their mouth is, tells me what snack they want, and they say, Dad, can we have a fruity snack, or can we have a piece of candy? And to me, I'm thinking, okay, that, that is not going to curb your hunger. That is not going to help in anything of a snack, a fruity snack, a little dinky piece of candy, pretty much, that is not going to help. Dad, can we have a snack? Well, what's the problem there? They're turning to the wrong thing for their hunger, for their uh, need to curb their hunger. That They're turning to the wrong thing, something that is not going to do what they want it to do, which is help with their hunger. Now, when we think of our life in Christ, sometimes we as Christians have this same tendency to turn to something other than the one person who will help curb our hunger for spiritual life in Christ. We don't turn to Christ, but we turn to something else. And any time that we turn to something else, it never does what we want it to do in our Christian walk. It does not satisfy us. It does not give us peace. It does not give us comfort. The only person that gives us peace, comfort, satisfaction is the person of Jesus Christ himself, And anytime that we try to substitute something for him, we go the wrong direction. We go the wrong direction. We don't build our relationship with him. We're actually tearing it down in an instance. This is the topic we're going to be talking about today, titled our message, In Need of Substance. That brings us to Colossians. Now, you need a little bit of background information about Colossians. Colossians was written by Paul while he was in prison. This was right around 30 to 33 years after Christ had died on the cross, and he's writing to churches who are um, being persecuted. But as we come to the church of Colossians, there's one thing that really identifies it, and its commentators call it the Colossian heresy. It's this idea of multiple different people being under the same church roof and trying to live for Christ, but have been grown up in different areas and different backgrounds, but they're trying to understand what it really looks like to follow after Christ. And this Colossian heresy includes mainly two different aspects, aspects, the aspect of Jewish legalism, the law, the Old Testament law, and then the idea of cultural Gnosticism. And this is the, the new teaching that is starting to be uh, shared around at the time that Colossians is written, and it's the idea that something is greater than Scripture, something is greater than the revealed word that we have, that's been given to us, and that we have to search hard to find this extra knowledge. And there's different ways that we go about it. That kind of builds the background case for as this is how Paul is coming to teach the Colossian church. Now, the person that was probably the pastor of the Colossian church was named Epaphroditus. And he was one that was probably a believer, became a believer by Paul as he ministered to the Ephesian church. And as Paul went on and he started other churches, he eventually finds himself in prison, Epaphroditus makes the long trip to Rome to talk to Paul in prison, and he comes back with this letter to the Colossians. And Paul addresses specifically what's going on in that church. And the one thing that he wants to focus on more than anything is the supremacy of Christ. He is all that you need. He is the most that you need. And anything added to him uh, does, goes, makes us go in the opposite direction of a life that it's lived for Christ and continuing to, to grow in him. I want to build this understanding of what Paul is uh, bringing as we come to. We're going to end in Colossians 2, verses 16 to 23, but I really want you to see what Paul starts with in Colossians 1. So we're going to go through a, a diff- couple different passages, follow along as I read. We're going to start Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Remember, Paul is talking about supremacy of Christ. He's everything as he's talking to these colossians he says verse 13 chapter 1 said he has delivered us from the domi- from the domain of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins he starts with what Christ has done for us he has de- defeated sin and darkness transformed us into his kingdom of light and the kingdom of his beloved son skip down to verse 21 chapter 1 says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Christ did all of that for you. He reconciled you with his death on the cross, and everything he did was perfect. It satisfied the righteous demands of God, and he, you need nothing else besides Christ. For your Christian walk. Look at verse 27 through 29. To them, he's talking to the, about the Jews, to them, to the Jews, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that way we may present everyone mature in Christ. Specifically, there was he say, how, how do we find maturity? It's not by doing this, doing that. It's by finding Christ and living for Him. Yes, that's going to affect how we live out our life. The more we know Christ, the more we love Him and, and get deeper into Him. But those other things without Christ will not cause a sanctification, will not cause growth in Christ. And Paul's purpose is to present everyone mature in Christ. And he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's his whole purpose. Paul is saying, I don't want you to know anything about me, about my ministry. If you take one thing away from who I am, let it be Christ. Let it be the one that I point to. He's the one you need for your life. Not me. Not regulations that I set up. Christ is the one. He continues down. Colossians 2, 1-4. to says for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ yeah, let me read that again end of verse 2 this is the what he wants he wants them to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery He wants to know everything there is to know about God. But how does he say that they do it? That which is Christ. Christ is the one that is the answer to all of our questions as to, how do I have a relationship with God? How do I grow to be more like God? It's Christ. Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. It says verse 3, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Everything, every hidden treasure and truth that we want in life in our Christian walk is in Christ. But then he starts to allude to some of the reasons he's writing the letter. Verse 4 says, I say that in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There are argu- he's, he's talking to the Colossian church and he's saying, I know, I've heard there are plausible arguments in your mind that you're starting to think, well, this kind of makes sense. Well, maybe Christ plus this, maybe Christ and this other stuff. He says, don't let anyone delude you with plausible arguments. Christ is all you need. Christ is what you need most. Skip down to verse 8, chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What's he say? All of those other things mean nothing without Christ. They mean nothing without Christ. Chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us <clears throat> with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumpf- triumphing over them in Him. How do we have victory? It's, it's not by succumbing to, to anything other than recognizing who Jesus Christ is, accepting him as our Savior, and humbly serving him with our life. It's that process. It's not Christ in anything else. It's Christ on the cross, Christ for my sins, Christ for my eternal security. He's the one that has paid my sins and my debt. I don't need anything but Christ. And even for sanctification, the more we grow by t- to know who Christ is, the more we're going to act like him, be like him, the more we're going to understand our sin that does not look like him and try to stay away from that. But it all revolves around Christ. It's not about the other side issues. This, bring, this brings us to our text for this morning. <clears throat> this is where Paul gets to the point, verses 16 through 23. Let me read it, and then we're going to dissect it and talk about the different things we can learn from this text. Colossians two sixteen to twenty three says therefore, after everything he said about Christ and the the supremacy of Christ he says this therefore, let no one pass judgment on you on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God verse 20 if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why as if you have you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations do not handle do not taste do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time in your word today. We ask that as we study your word, we see how valuable you are. We see uh, uh, that without you, we are lost, where we go the wrong way. And God, if we find ourselves falling and failing and tripping up, it's because we need a closer walk with you and your son, Jesus Christ. God, be with us as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me one second. We can learn one thing from our text this morning. The one I want you to focus on and take with you as you go is this. Let everything fade into the background as you focus your life on Christ. Let everything else fade into the background as you focus your life on Christ. We've all gotten that picture before that maybe we had uh, developed. Well, let's be honest. That's a long time ago that we developed pictures, okay? But even those ones that maybe you've taken on your phone and your phone on, on, on accident has focused on the wrong person, or the, and you get the fuzzy side of the, the, the camera. Those are the things that you don't want to focus on, but you want it to focus on the person you're trying to take a picture of. You know, If we're not careful in our Christian walk, we can have our life, our Christian walk, focusing on the wrong things, on the wrong aspects of a Christian walk, instead of focusing on Christ. I want to challenge you today with Paul that we need to let everything else fade into the background as you focus your life on Christ. Today, I wanted to dissect the passage in question, Colossians 2, 16 to 23, and look at four instructions for focusing focusing your life on Christ. Four instructions for focusing your life on Christ. Instruction number one, we get in verses 16 and 17. Instruction number one, do not focus your life on rules and regulations. Do not focus your life on rules and regulations. Look at verse 16. It says this. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink and with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He starts by having this conversation. He's talked about the supremacy of Christ, but then he says, don't let anything else seep in. And think that that's part of your Christian walk that's going to get you closer to Christ. Don't focus on rules and regulations. Verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to festival, and new moon, or the Sabbath. He lists specific things that he knows the Colossian church is dealing with. And we see different aspects of uh, the Jewish legalism and Gnosticism that are coming together here. This idea, Jewish legalism, is the the Jews that were before Jesus Christ's time They lived and died, lived and breathed and died by the Old Testament law. And that means that every rule that they could come up with that would try to uh, direct their life, they would write down. And everyone that wanted to be part of that group had to follow those rules. Some of those included circumcision. Some of those included what we ate, what you drank, what you didn't eat, what you didn't drink. And all of those things were included in this understanding of passing judgment. If you wanted to be part of us and in them, this Colossian church, that's a New Testament uh, surrounding itself with Jesus Christ. If you wanted to be part of that, they were trying to add these rules and regulations that were from the law. And Paul is saying, don't let anyone tell you that those have anything to do with your walk with Christ. Your walk with Christ is superior to those judgments. He says, specifically, food and drink, they were in the Old Testament law. They could not eat certain things. They could not drink certain things. He goes even past that to say, with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these were special days that were deemed important throughout the month or throughout the year. And these legalists would say, if you don't follow these, the specific way that we think you should follow them, then you're not following after God. And you're, it, yeah, I know Christ and a relationship with him is, is good, it's important, but these other things are just as important. So they start to add these ideas. Festivals, new moons, or the Sabbath. The Sabbath is what day you would actually worship on. And in the Jewish law, the Sabbath day was on Saturday, the last day of the week. But as Jesus died and rose again on the first day of the week, Christians, after Jesus, would, would join together on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday. And so they were having some dissension about what day we should worship. Well, Paul's trying to get past all of this. And he's saying these might be important, they might be regulations that are okay for people to follow their own way and their own understanding, but don't let it suppress the importance of who Christ is. He is the most important thing that you can think about. And that's the only thing that will bring you salvation is Jesus Christ and bring you sanctification is growth to be more like him. You can't set up these other things that's going to make you grow and so he starts with that. So one thing we have to talk about is the Colossian heresy that includes Jewish legalism. Now you might think, well, what, what? Okay, what is legalism? Let me explain a little bit of what legalism is. First, it's the dependence on a moral law rather than personal faith for holiness. It's dependence on a moral law instead of personal faith for holiness. That means that if I set up this specific law and I follow that law, by just following that law, I think in my own mind, that's getting me closer to God. That he's going to be more happy with me because I'm just following this law. But the problem is, is that that law and just following that law is not connected to faith through Jesus Christ. We just think, if I follow the law, that God's going to be happy with the law. But we've heard, already preached in this series, that God is not a about the outwards, the externals. He wants our heart. Sometimes we will do those outward things and we, we should do outward things to follow him, but it's, if it's done without a heart to love him, to serve him, it, it means nothing. It means nothing. Dependence on a moral law rather than on personal faith for holiness. Legalism also means treating biblical standards of conduct as regulations to be kept by our own power in order to earn God's favor regulations that we make up, and then we decide we have to keep those by our own power. And if we do it, we earn God's favor. We earn God's favor. We see how that type of thinking is directly opposed to what scripture says about Christ. We can't earn God's favor. And the more that we get closer to him, we we recognize our own sin and how much more we need him because we're so far from being as holy as he is that as we get closer, we say, oh, yeah, but I, I, I'm not there here. I'm not there here. I struggle here, and I need Christ. And it causes us a, a thankful heart, a, a heart that gets on our knees before him and says, God, you're so good to me. I, I don't know why you're so good to me. Legalism also includes, uh, simply put, legalism is dependence on moral behavior that is not from faith. That is not from faith. Now, we think about this specific idea of legalism, and you might think, well, I I don't really struggle with that too much. But I would challenge us to say that we are, at at our heart, legalistic at times. Even today, we can be tempted to believe that certain standards equal a life with Christ. If asked, how do you know you're a Christian, many might answer that question in some different ways. So if someone was asked, how do you know you're a Christian, maybe someone would answer it saying, well... I go to church on Easter and Christmas, and I go to church sometimes in between, so that's got to count for something, right? I mean, that's, that's showing that I'm, I'm, I'm following after the Bible says we should go to church. Maybe some of us would answer that question as well by saying, well, I grew up going to church, and I was sprinkled as a baby, and I was confirmed in the church as a teenager. So those things all point to the fact that, you know, I, I'm, I'm following after God, right? I'm doing what he wants me to. Some might answer that question, how do you know you're a Christian, by saying, well, I don't smoke and I don't drink and I try to be nice to people. I mean, those are, those are good things, right? Some might also answer and say, well, I give money to the church. All of those, in and of themselves, we can't say that they're bad things. But if we look at those and say that those are standards that determine a person as a follower of Christ, we're taking it too far and, and we're not seeing the truth behind those. It's not about how often we go to church. It's not about the do's and don'ts. It's about who we know Jesus Christ is and how our life conforms to follow after our Savior. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. It's not about all these other things. I give ch- money to the church. I do this. I do that. It's not about the do's. The do's are going to come as we love Christ and as we have a relationship with him. But we're going to look at our Savior and we're going to say, I love him so much. He's done so much for me. So I, got, I, I want to give myself to him. It's not about setting up these rules so that I follow them and then God's happy with me because I follow these rules. No, it, it's nothing about the rules. Christ supersedes all of that. He is preeminent to anything we could think that is on equal ground with Christ. He is, he is supreme. He is our Savior. On the other side of the conversation, includes setting up standards and expecting other people to follow them. We all might have had thoughts like these, like, well, that person, he can't be a Christian. He doesn't come to church every Sunday night. He doesn't come to church every Sunday night. Or we think, well, he can't be a Christian. He doesn't dress like a Christian. I know what a Christian dress is like. I look in the mirror. I dress like a Christian, right? And we, we start to think those things, and we're building these standards of what a Christian looks like. We might think, he can't be a Christian. I know he goes to the movie theater, or he plays cards, or he works on Sunday. Now, okay, these are some regulations that we know and maybe <clears throat> have worked through as a church throughout years, and in your personal walk with Christ to say, okay, do, does that really mean I'm not a Christian because this? And it's good for us to work through those, Those standards. Maybe the last one, you might say, he can't be a Christian. I saw him smoking in the parking lot. Well, he's smoking, and I know that that's, that is directly opposite to what a Christian would do. Paul is trying to get to the heart of all these legalistic mindsets of saying, this outward standard is what makes you a Christian and what makes you follow God. He's saying, it's not about that. It's about your love for Christ. And, and, and that gets to each and every one of our hearts. Do you love Christ from the inside out, from the heart. Do all your actions, do everything that you do in life come from a a desire to please the one that you take most joy in? It's not about just following the rules. It's about, I love Christ. I love Christ and I want to please him and I want him to glory in my life for him. It's all about him. We can take the idea of even going to church. Let's say that. We know that going to church is a good thing. We can go to Ephesians, or excuse me, not Ephesians, Hebrews, that tells us, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But let's say we take that idea of it's good to go to church, and we just make it a blind rule. And we say, I'm going to put this on my list. I know it's good so that I can check it off. So every Sunday, I make sure that I walk through the doors of the church, but I don't prepare my mind. And I don't look at what the real reason for the church is. To glory, and yes, a message of God's word, but fellowship, but ministry together, and all I do is walk through that door. And I sit down, and maybe I sit in the, the, the entryway, and I don't in- engage with people, and I don't do the things. Maybe I sit during the service, and I scroll on the phone. I look at Facebook, or do this or that. Is it accomplishing what, what God wants with church by just walking through the doors and checking the box? No, it's not. It's not. He wants the heart, and he's given us the church so that it challenges people's hearts, so that we can live in a Christian way with each other, and we can point each other to Christ. We can do blind things to just think that God's going to be happy with that. He does not care about the outward doing if it's not connected to a heart that loves Christ. That's what Paul's trying to get at. Don't let all these outward things be what you focus on the most. Look at verse, let's get back to Colossians one two sixteen. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food, drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Then verse 17 says, These are sh- a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He, he talks about all of these outward expressions that we set up as legalistic, and he says, Those are shadows. And as you look back at the Old Testament law, they had a purpose to point to Jesus Christ, but also part of the, the law's purpose was to prove that we could not keep the law. It showed us how holy God was and how unable we are to make ourselves holy like him. And so, Jesus was sent to die on the cross for your sins and mine to make us holy. He says all of those things in the past, they were a shadow. You think of a shadow. A shadow doesn't have any substance, does it? Something behind it that is in front of the light, is causing that shadow. And if you reached out to try to grab a shadow, there's nothing there, right? He's using this illustration as what all of those outward things that the Jewish and the Gnostics would tell you you need to follow, he said, they're shadows. But the substance is Jesus Christ. Don't, uh, don't put aside Jesus Christ to follow after this shadow. That means nothing and is nothing. That brings us to our Second, instruction for focusing on the life of Christ. Instruction number one, do not focus your life on rules and regulations. Number two, do not focus your life on false humility and false worship. Do not focus your life on false humility and false worship. He continues his thought, verse 18, he says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. What's he telling us? He says, not just rules and regulations that are outward, but also do not focus your life on false humility and false worship. He says, those things will not disqualify you. And look at verse 18 again. He says, assisting on asceticism and worship of angels. This description, asceticism, is a way to, um, you know, it's to cause harm to your body or not allow your body the, the pleasures of the world because you think that in doing that, you are, are going to gain God's favor once again by causing your body more harm. You'd see this in uh, old uh, monks throughout the years have really led an ascetic life that they would distance themselves from everything the world had to offer and say because they did that, God was going to be happy with them. What are we getting in that again? Another outward law, rule, a thing that we need to follow to gain God's favor. And he says, don't be... Uh, Don't be tempted by asceticism. And then he connects with that and says also the worship of angels. That ascetic lifestyle also is connected to this idea of false humility. It's saying that, woe am I. I'm going to lead a, a very humble life. And it's really false humility. It's, again, saying that I can earn my way to God by being so humble that he has to look at me and say, wow, look at what he's doing I'm going to give him more grace. I'm going to give him mercy. It's all about what I can do to gain God's favor. We don't find that, Christ, or that Paul says that does not uh, equal what Christ has given to us. He goes on from asceticism and says, and also the worship of angels. These same people were saying that <clears throat> I'm so humble that I can't even pray or go face to face with God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm going to worship the angels. And I'll have them bring my specific prayers and thoughts to God. But it was all about this, because I'm so humble. Because I'm so humble. It's me. And really, we, we see in that mindset this idea of pridefulness. Look what I can do. I can talk to angels and I, I have this spirit life that's higher or bigger than everybody else's. What does Paul say about it? He says, Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, so he describes what these specific things are by saying, all they're doing is trying to is puffing themselves up by saying, I've reached this level and you haven't reached this level. It's really looking down on other people because what look what I've done in my Christian walk. Where does it become about? Who does it become about when those are our thoughts? It becomes all about us. It's about me. Look what I am. Look how high I am above the people that are around me. And we start to look down on one another. Today in Sunday school class, we had a lesson on a critical spirit. And it was very challenging to my own heart to say, I need to love people. I need to care about them. I need to put them above me. I need to not have a critical spirit towards one another because that's not what we find in the heart of a Christian who wants to follow after Christ. It's not about me, it's about loving God and loving other people. Those are the two things that we see. <clears throat> John MacArthur helps us as he explains a little bit. He says this, "...spiritual realities are internal, and external laws add nothing to them. But the false teachers continue to give the number one satanic lie of the ages. Christ is not enough. It has to be, put, it has to be Christ plus works. Every false system in the world says you are saved by works." they are satanic counterfeits. Satan tries to counterfeit grace with works. Christianity is the only religion in all of history that is purely a system of grace. If we are thinking that it's Christ plus anything else, we're wrong. Christ plus anything else equals turning from Christ. It's in our mind saying, yeah, yeah, Christ is good, but he's not good enough. It has to be Christ plus this apply Christ plus something else. What we find Paul saying is, that's wrong, sinful thinking. Christ is everything. We have nothing to offer to Christ that he will, will make him better or make us better. It's we get everything from him. It's very unfair. It seems that Christ went to the cross and what he got was all of my sin. And what I got was all of his grace and holiness through that transaction on the cross. But it's all through Christ that We grow. And we find more about him. John Piper says this, Whenever happy confidence in the sovereign power of God for our own lives and the lives of others grow weak, legalism creeps in. We inevitably try to compensate for loss of dynamic faith by increased moral resolve and the addition of man-made regulations. But whenever joyful confidence in the power of God is waning, the flesh is waxing, which means that the morality... We had hoped would save ourselves and the regulations we hoped would purify our church fall victim to the massive power of the flesh and become its instruments of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. When we take on the idea that if I add these rules and regulations that are going to gain God's happiness with me, then guess what? I am trying in my own strength to do those specific things that I set out to gain his power. And it's all about me my self-reliance, my self-ability, and it's taking our mind off of Christ, right? Anytime that those two are competing against each other, it's not the right way to look at Christ, okay? We have to be clear about this other thing too, that I'm not saying that we're never going to do good works. I'm saying that a heart that loves God, good works for him that please him are going to flow out of a person who loves God. So what do we do? We challenge our heart. We want our heart to love him more than anything else. We don't just make a, a specific rule that says, that's going to make me more holy. I challenge my heart. is where I'm not holy, where I'm not serving God. And I say, heart, I, I know I'm tempted this way. God, help me to change it. And it continually keeps me coming back to one who's going to shape my heart, who's going to change my heart. I can't change my desires just by making a, a law or a rule. I can't do that. But God is the one who can change my heart by by a a life that is served, putting him all around me and putting his word into my heart and fellowship with Christians into my life. Those things shape what I love, not anything else. That brings us to the third point of our text today. Point number three, focus your life on holding fast to Christ. Focus your life on holding fast to Christ. Paul starts out by saying, Don't do this, don't do this, but he gets to the real issue right here. He says in verse 19, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Focus your life on holding fast to Christ. And the way that Christ is described here is as a head. You think of the body, what's the most important part of your body? Of course, it's your head. You, know, you think about all the things that can be cut off, can take taken off your body, and you can still live. Or think about all the transplants that, over the years, have been able to be do, done on bodies through medical uh, experiments, and then now they can do it. You know, all the time. You're, you're, you, if you have a liver, you can transplant that. If you got a, a lung, different things, you can transplant that. Even your heart. But guess what? You can't transplant. You can't, you can't transplant your head. There's no way that you can transplant your brain. There's so many uh, aspects of the mind and the brain that you cannot transplant that. And when we see that the, this illustration is being used as Christ, we cannot transplant Christ. We can't cut off the head and think that, well, well we're going to be fine because we've got hands and we've got feet and we've got a heart. We don't have the one that is directing all of that. We don't have Christ. And so he's saying... These people who hold fast to these other things, they're not holding fast to the head. And he explains, he says, From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Where does the growth come in a true Christian's heart that has a love for Christ? The growth comes from God. It doesn't come from a specific rule that I, I make and then I follow that rule, it comes from a love for Christ a heart that's more inclined to understand him, to see my sin, to want to follow him. That's where my growth comes through my relationship with Christ. Don't cut off the head who is Jesus Christ. And don't go backwards to the things that were used in the past, uh, the Old Testament law, and and, and seem that they're on the same level of Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, I was... I decided I'm going to make a meal for the family and uh, a meal that I've made many times before, chicken salad sandwiches, okay? Pretty easy meal, right? You shred up the chicken, you get onions, uh, we put grapes in, we put some other things in, you mix it all together, you put some mayo in. Seems great, right? I made this before. I love it. I love these sandwiches. So we get it all together, we put all the sandwiches together, everybody starts eating, nobody says anything. Because, okay, Dad's made a meal, so it's probably, we can't, we can't complain about it, right? We can't complain. And so they kind of know that. But as I start to eat the sandwiches, I'm like, something just doesn't taste right, okay? It's just not, not the way I remember it, okay? And so I, I make it through the meal. We all make it through the meal. No one complains too much. Put the leftovers in the fridge. And a day or two later, I, I pull it out and I make another sandwich. I start to eat it again. I'm like, there is still something not right here. And I I go about searching all the ingredients, seeing what in the world is the problem. And what I find is that the mayo that I was using has been expired for about a year, okay? And so let's just say this. uh, Nobody got sick, thankfully. Nobody was puking or anything else. But I'm like, this is why. I'm trying to use expired ingredients in something that's going to be good for my body. Uh, It's a funny story, right? But we get the understanding as we look to Christ He's the one who's not expired. He's the one who is everything. But if we try to replace him with an expired Old Testament law or other man-made or self-made regulations, it's not what God has designed for our Christian walk, for salvation and for sanctification. Jesus Christ is all and in all. He's everything that we need is Jesus Christ. William Hendrickson says this, If it was certainly wrong to ascribe Old Testament regulations of value, which they did not have, then it was certainly even far more true with respect to man-made regulations of ascetic character that were being superimposed upon, added to, and in some cases, perhaps even substituted for, of God. Thus, the all-sufficient and preeminence of Christ was being denied. And that, after all, was the basic error. He says basic error, but he's not saying a little error. That's the biggest error. That's the the one that they got wrong. The preeminence of Christ, the the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, we have to hold him up as everything we are in him. So what do we do? Don't focus your life on rules and regulations. Don't focus your life on false humility or false worship. But focus your life on holding fast to Christ, shaping and guiding your heart to love Christ. That brings us to our fourth and final uh, instruction on focusing your life on Christ. Number four, acknowledge the inability of anything but Christ to produce holiness. Acknowledge the inability of anything but Christ to produce holiness. Look at verses 20 through 23. What this really is is a summary statement of what he's already been talking about. So we're going to really focus in on verse 23. But verse 20 starts and it says this, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to these, to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. So he sums up and he says, Okay, I've been talking to you about rules and regulations, and you know that those things don't produce holiness. Look at verse 23. He says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what it really talks about here is, in our mind, the idea of making rules and regulations that are going to keep me bound to living a life of Christ seem like that's a good thing. And I'm not saying that we will take uh, personal or practical steps to follow after Christ in specific ways, but if they're devoid of Christ, then the ways that we're, we're setting up to follow him and we're not using Christ with them, then it's the wrong way that we're going with those. Okay, so what is he saying? Indeed, they have the appearance of wisdom, because it looks like, well, that makes sense. If you want to be holy, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this. And pretty soon we have a list, and that list is called holiness instead of Christ, a relationship with Christ. Okay, we want to get past the list so we can say a heart of Christ. I have the opportunity to counsel many different people at different times. And this is one of the things that we work on, getting past just the do's and don'ts to have a heart love for Christ. Um, it's unfortunately it's unfortunate that in our culture, one of the big things that is really affecting our culture in today's world is pornography. Okay, And I've, I've had opportunities to help people work through that and try to look and serve Christ in the midst of that. And one of the things that we talk about is setting up roadblocks so that you, yourself, can't get to certain things, can't um, do certain things that your sinful flesh might want to do and might want to look at. And those aren't bad things. Yeah, you know, I've used, uh, at different times for our family, covenant eyes. We have a, a, a thing right now called the circle, which really you know, stops any negative, bad things from coming in. Those are good things. But the problem is, is that if we think that we can just set up something like that, and that's where we're going to find our holiness or we're going to stop sinning on just doing this one thing. And you know what? For a little while, you might prevent yourself from doing something sinful the way that you've done it before. But if you're not replacing that, and if it's not combined with a life of Christ that wants to serve him, guess what? You find yourself failing in different ways. In this specific instance of uh, pornography, you can cut off all those things. You can put a filter on your phone, on your computer. But if you're not also trying to shape your heart with a love for Christ, guess what? Maybe you don't turn to your phone. Maybe you don't turn to your computer. But you just turn to the TV. You turn to something else. You know that you can find what you want somewhere else. You've got to be challenging people from a heart and yourself from a heart motivation. Do I love God and is it affecting the rest of my actions? Because of it, We can know, even as parents, that if we set up rules for our kids and they grow up and they evaluate those rules that we have set up and it hasn't been with a uh, heart-shaping aspect of that rule, they're going to look at it and they're going to say, that that rule's not for me. I'm not going to follow that. I'm not going to do that. But guess what? As we we shape and direct our kids with a heart that loves Christ and we say, okay, we, we spend time talking with them and say, okay, I know you did this. I know you struggled this way. Now what's it saying that we love more than Christ? You know, who can we turn to for forgiveness? It's Christ. It's not just saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that in your life. It's saying, why don't we do that? We do that because we love Christ. Do you have a love for Christ? And you're trying to challenge them from the heart. It starts with ourself. Do you love Christ from your heart and all your actions come because of that love? Then it transfers to those who are under you, your kids, those who are around you, and those who are in the church with us. <clears throat> Do we love Christ with our heart and try to serve him with all of our actions? That's what we get at. Paul, in another passage, Philippians 3, 7-11, through 11, he reminds us that the most important thing is a life after Christ. He says this, Philippians 3, 7-11, But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, and I do it purposely in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, And may share his suffering, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What does he say? The most important thing to to Paul is Christ and a life with Christ, serving his Savior. And it it directed everything that he did in life, but it also pointed his mind to the day that he would get to see his Savior. He'd get to worship him in in a, a spiritual body that was given to him that no longer had to deal with sin. And, and everything that this world has to deal with in, in our physical body here. He's, he's looking forward to his Savior. He's saying, everything that I do, I want to be about Him. Is that our heart today? Is that our heart today to, to really, truly love Him from your heart and serve Him with everything you are because you have a heart that loves the Savior who gave you everything? That's what we want to focus on today, and you take with you as you go. Have a heart that loves God. One song that came to as I was studying this week is an old hymn called Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, it says this, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, talking about Christ, let me hide myself in thee. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Vile I, the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time in your word today. God, we thank you for being the rock for us. Help us not to turn to anything else. Help us not to build any other rocks except you and your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to grow in a heart love and heart knowledge of you that helps us to want to turn from sin and wickedness and and truly please you. God, we know we can't do it. If we evaluate ourselves, even on a week-to-week basis, Lord, we fail. But you are so good to us, and we thank you for forgiving us and the mercy that you have for us. Um, Help us as a church to love you and to grow in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for our time and your word. In Jesus' name, amen.